welcome to Faith and Science. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Recently I was reading an article about the fascinating uh, bombardier beetle. So this is a, um, a, little, a little insect. Um, they grow, well, somewhere just a bit bigger than a centimetre, maybe up to two and a half centimetres, some of the specimens that are found in places like Africa. That, uh, but this little insect um, emits a very hot spray uh, to ward off any uh, predator. This little spray is squirted out the, the rear of the uh, insect and it's a, a mixture of, um, of hot water, very hot water and steam um, and uh, it actually contains some caustic chemicals as well. And, um, and it sort of is used to ward off any uh, attacker. And I was quite surprised that we have these insects in Australia. I had read about them before, and I suppose I hadn't paid a, you know a lot of um, attention to them. But they occur just um, pretty well in all the continents: um, America, Asia, um, Africa. And as I said, I was very surprised to uh, find that they were here in, in, in Australia as well because I've never, I've never seen one. They are certainly uh, fascinating little creatures. One of the experiments that I was reading about was that when um, they've, uh, if they put these little bombardier beetles down in the presence of, of toads, the toads race over and gobble them up. But then the little beetles fire off this caustic material and most of the toads vomit them up quite quickly. Some of them actually, uh, they're in, one, in the, one of the experiments, I think I read, if I understand correctly, these little beetles, this caustic material was actually able to blast its way out of the, the toad's um, stomach. Uh, but most of the time the toads then just vomit them uh, back up and and they survived and the little beetles were uh, that got vomited up were um, uh, survived quite well and the other ones that, that crawled out. The uh, the chemistry behind the bombardier beetle is quite uh, fascinating. Now its uh, uh, technical name is uh, Carbidae bracini and they live in mainly the warm parts of, um, of uh, the world, but also apparently they're, they're even found in, in Europe and um, even in southern England, some small con- um, colonies of these beetles have been uh, found. They're quite a, um, quite a pretty, pretty beetle. And uh, they, you know, hide hide under rocks. But one of the things that's fascinating for me is the chemistry of how they can produce this very hot caustic um, substance that they emit. And it's actually a mixture of chemically heated steam and these noxious chemicals that come out of its back end. And it has this little turret. Uh, and it, it literally is like a, uh, a gun turret in that they can uh, move this turret around to actually fire over its over their back or underneath or to the side. So 
they can you know swing this little turret around. The other, uh, and uh, because they're predators of things like birds and spiders, frogs, toads, and even ants uh, can attack them, of course. And the the chemicals, it's it's quite fascinating. Don't come out as a continuous stream. And in fact, it really wasn't till nineteen ninety nine that um, a research paper was published in the uh, Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences in the United States in, uh, on the 17th of August, 1999, by uh, Dr. Um, or Professor Tom Eiser, Eisner. And he showed that, in actual fact, the beetle produces a series of explosions, uh, one after another, uh, in rapid uh, successions. Um, he, he did quite a clever experiment where he, he filmed uh, a, a African bombardier beetle um, and then played it back in very slow motion. And as he studied the film, um, he found that uh, the, the little beetle actually was producing about 500 explosions per second in rapid succession. So it's like very, very fast machine gun fire in repeated bursts. And so these then bursts were emitted, very brief bursts, just for two to three seconds. And then it stopped, then another two to three seconds. And the beetle could do this four to five times before depleting the chemical system. Um, But then, of course, the chemical uh, system actually recovered a few minutes later again. So uh, there's quite a lot of uh, potential there. Now, one of the things that they've found is that the two chemicals that are combined, one is hydrogen, uh, hydroquinone, and the other one is hydrogen peroxide. And there are also uh, two catalysts that are required, uh, catalase and peroxidase, that are required uh, to make the chemical reaction um, go. There are also special valves that control these uh, blasts. So the, the fact that those little blasts, you know, up to 500 um, per second, were controlled by a very uh, unique valve system where the high pressure caused the inlet valve to close and the outlet valve to open and resulted in a, a violent vapour explosion or flash evaporation where a substantial amount of the um, liquid water that was in the little body of the little beetle expands into steam. Now, uh, steam, of course, when you convert water into steam at standard pressure, um, the, you get a, an increase in volume about 600, uh, 1,600 times, 1,600 times. So if you contain this, you generate a lot of pressure converting water into steam, hence the principle of the steam engine. And we know steam locomotives can be you know, very powerful and generate maximum torque right from start. And so you have this extreme pressure is there. And so as this um, expansion occurs very rapidly, it carries this 
remaining water with its caustic chemicals in it um, in this spray. And the, the force is such that it um, can reach about 20 centimetres. So when you think this little beetle is about just over a centimetre long up to maybe two centimetres, although some of the bigger ones two and a half centimetres, but in that, and it can fire about 20 centimetres. So it has a range roughly 10 to or 15, 10 to 15 times its length. Uh, or even um, so, it's quite um, powerful. Uh, well, it reaches about, yes, 20, 20, 20 centimetres. So the, um, and that's about, when you think the little combustion chamber itself is only about one millimetre long. So that's the, the length of the little chamber. So it fires about 200 times the length of its, its chamber. Um, actually, David Attenborough uh, produced a, um, a series on the um, on the bombardier. Well, it would include the bombardier beetle. It was in the BBC Life series number six on on insects. And of course, it's interesting. David Attenborough attributes all this amazing chemistry, amazing design, just to to random evolution. And I really don't think that um, David Attenborough, you know, he, he produces some amazing films, really understands that all these structures have to be produced in a code made up of uh, chemicals that we represent by the letters A, C, T and G. Um, and he claims that by random sorting, by mutations of these a, C, T and G, that we're going to produce these amazing structures that work together. Well, I think really as we think about it seriously, it is absolutely power, very powerful evidence of irreducible complexity. In other words, a Nessus system is all together and in just the right amounts, um, the insect's going to blow up or it's not going to work. Um, it's going to you know, scald itself, destroy itself. There's so many um, things there that uh, it's not going to it's not going to work, and it's going to be very harmful in the development processes unless everything is there is in balance. And matter of fact, dissection of the the rear end of the beetle has shown an amazing amount of detail, and and the chemical defence is actually quite sophisticated. You see, before the two chemicals can react, they actually have to travel down a very thin tube together where the catalysts are either secreted or possibly are there in crystalline form in the tube. So what this is saying is that at the present time, as we're studying this bombardier beetle, we still don't fully understand how all the structure is. So here we have, you know, scientists trying to understand how this little beetle works, but we're still not exactly sure how the catalysts are exposed to the particular chemicals. So the catalysts, um, uh, catalase and peroxidase act on the hydrogen peroxide and hydroquinone. 
And the hydrogen peroxide then converts to water and steam as a result of reaction. So a catalyst, by the way, is a, a particular chemical that speeds up another chemical reaction. And the catalyst itself actually isn't used up. It's, it's just there, but it just um, helps um, the other action speed up, often by reducing what we call activation energy. So if you think about this, if you think of... Um, if you want to um, set fire to, um, let's say... Uh, to, well, to, to petrol, if, we, if you have petrol in air, it just doesn't burn. The petrol just sits there, it'll evaporate. But if you apply heat to the petrol, then what happens is the uh, a sufficient heat to the petrol, then you overcome what we call the activation energy, and then suddenly those uh, chemical bonds will become reactive to the presence of oxygen and begin to burn. And that's, of course, the uh, the principle of the internal combustion engine. And, of course, we generally heat that you could heat the petrol with a, with a match. You'd have to be very careful because it'll flare up. Uh, but that the heat from the mat, burning match or burning piece of paper uh, or burning anything, that, that flame provides the energy to overcome the activation energy. Or in an internal combustion like car engine with a spark plug, you produce a, an electrical discharge um, produces a very high uh, little plasma of uh, that is charged on, on particles of very high temperature, which we call a little spark. And that high temperature, again, provides the initial activation energy to start the reaction going. So it's the same with these catalysts. So these catalysts provide in some way a... Um, the ability for those reactions to take place. Now, the hydrogen peroxide, as I said, converts to, to water, but because there's heat liberated at the same time, it converts to steam. And it also splits off oxygen. Now, that is a... It splits off an oxygen atom, so that oxygen atom is very reactive now. It's not an oxygen molecule, it's an oxygen atom. So it's a highly reactive species that needs to react, was going to react with something nearby very quickly. And then every model of, uh, that, and that uh, one atom of oxygen comes from every molecule of peroxide. And then this combines with hydrogen uh, molecules, which are released from the hydrogen quinone. And that produces, um, that's essentially burning hydrogen and oxygen, burning hydrogen. So the hydrogen combines with the oxygen. And of course, we know when that reaction occurs, it produces a lot of heat as well. And that, of course, produces hot water. <laughs> so when you burn hydrogen and oxygen together, you get water, and that produces uh, very hot water. And that hot water, of course, expands, produces steam and produces this vapour explosion uh, that is mixed with some, uh, some caustic uh, chemicals. And these valves, of course, operate and regulate the, the pressure and the, the burst coming out. It's um, interesting, the exit uh, tube... Um, is enclosed by a membrane, membrane that blocks the bottom part of the tube. And once the chamber is full and the chemicals react, the extremities of the uh, chamber itself, which are um, 
pinch the tube shut. And as the chemicals in the chamber progresses, the heat is generated and the pressure in the chamber increases till the membrane is forced to open near the exit tube and fires the, the, the droplets of, uh, and steam vapour out. Now, again, this, the material of this chamber has to be of a very um, heat-resistant membrane because we know for water to be steam under pressure... It has to be well above 100 degrees centigrade. And so, again, uh, those sort of temperatures break down. Generally, a lot of uh, proteins and these sort of things. And we know when we, you, you cook an egg, you take it up in uh, temperature, then um, you change the proteins, go from liquid to solid and so forth. And so, again, we find that the, that particular chamber is lined with a particular membrane that prevents the beetle from cooking itself. And so this is the, the other aspect of design um, that, again, is all pointing to the fact that this system just couldn't evolve because not only have you got to have the catalysts there, you've got to have the tubes to mix them so that they're only mixed when the beetle wants to fire. So the beetle chooses to release these chemicals, open the valves, let them go into the combustion chamber. They have to be kept separate until that particular time. And then when they do fire, that material has to, and the surrounding material here has to be such that, as it says, the beetle doesn't cook itself. And also... This little opening and everything has to be quite separate to the digestive system and um, of the, uh, the beetle, where the waste products pass out of the beetle. So of his digestion pass out. So it's, it's, uh, to me, it's such an amazing, well, so, well, a better word would be powerful evidence of design. And creation. The other thing is to the propulsion of the drops uses this, as we mentioned, this little pulse system. And um, one of the uh, folk that is a uh, quite, has become quite an expert in the area of the bombardier beetle is uh, Professor Andy McIntosh. Now, he uh, was at the University of Leeds and was a, um, at the moment, he's Emeritus Professor of Thermodynamics at the University of Leeds. And he has both a PhD and a, a DSC, a Doctor of Science. Um, he was a mathematician, uh, but essentially he was looking at solving the equations associated with um, the thermodynamics or combustion theory that occurs in jet engines. So in jet engines, you've got very high flow, very high temperatures, um, very fast chemical reactions and modelling the heat flow, energy flow, propulsion and so forth out of these um, uh, systems uh, requires quite complex uh, mathematics and solving quite complex equations. And, um, and that was his area. And he was fascinated by the, the bombardier beetle and began looking into this because were there any clues that could be relevant to applications in uh, jet engine design. And one of the things that he noticed was that the this um, little system that was in the Bombardier Beetle was actually uh, was actually called by scientists pulse combustion. 
and it's actually used in some engines to give uh, thrust. And as a matter of fact, um, he points out that it was actually used in the uh, the V1 flying bombs uh, that were developed um, during World War One by the um, by the Germans. Um, one of the first uh, rocket bombs, uh, and uh, they used this uh, pulse pulse system. They were called doodlebugs, interestingly enough. Um, they used that uh, particular thing. So, um, and he, he points out that at the University of Leeds, they developed a spray system based on the technique used by the, the beetle. And this was um, part of their, their research that they were doing there. And again, he argues and points out that, you know, the detractors of creationists say, you know, creation is going to limit science. And he points out, well, hang on, this is how we use, by studying creation thing, we're able to actually advance science. And one of the things that came out of it was that there were very clear design uh, features and he said, as they studied this, they were actually led to a patented spray uh, system which heats water in a special chamber. Um, and um, they can use that to, um, to spray um, their, whatever the system was used for, the, the particular design that they, a requirement that they needed. It's interesting also, he went on to, I noticed in his article that he writes about this, that in 2010, his work, the work that they did at the University of Leeds developing this special spray system that was to be used in the industry, won the Times Higher Education Award for the most outstanding contribution to innovation and technology. So that was in 2010. So this particular valve spray system that uh, enable very powerful uh, sprays and uh, fluid sprays to be developed for use in research. Uh, As I said, just repeating that, won the Times Higher Education Award for the most outstanding contribution to innovation and technology in 2010. And uh, so this system has already been used for uh, developing the spray system used in fuel injectors in car and truck engines. So, you know, many of us now have these modern uh, fuel injectors, particularly if we have a diesel car, well, even petrol cars now are fuel injected. The fuel injectors in car and truck engines, the design of those injectors, at least some of those injectors, was based on the research done at Leeds University, based on the Bombardier Beetle. So I think when we uh, think about this and the, the fact that the Bombardier Beetle itself is such powerful evidence of irreducible complexity, and what we mean by that is that the evolutionists claim that all these structures, such as in the Bombardier Beetle, occurred with very small, slow changes occurring over a long period of time by random mutations in the genetic code that enabled new structures to form just somehow randomly, and then the ones that were best suited and survived kept on going. 
Well, I think it becomes fairly obvious when we look at the complexity of the bombardier combustion system that you've got to have the tubes, the tubes have got to be, and the tubes have got to be made out of material that is resistant to the chemicals. The tubes have to then have the catalyst or enable the catalyst to be uh, present. You've got to have then the combustion chamber. The combustion chamber has to have special valves that can resist pressure, has to be lined with special material in the valves themselves too that resist the high temperatures and don't burn or de- decompose. And then you've got to have all the, um, the little pumps and so forth to squirt the material in. You've got to have the codes to make the chemical catalyst and, and just to make hydrogen peroxide, just to make hydroquinone in the uh, little insect itself requires special biochemical reactions to make these chemicals, let alone to make the catalyst, catalase and uh, so forth that uh, are used uh, in the... Um, in the in the in the beetle, so it's um, we, and then you've got the you know the muscles that control the little jet system and the uh, the little uh, spray device itself. It's a little cannon, you might say, um, and to be able to move it around the muscles and the structure of, of of it, plus the you know the nerves that are responsible to control the muscles. All the codes for that are just so complex and evolutionists have to cling to the um, thought that this all occurred just by chance. I think it's powerful, powerful evidence right in front of us, clearly in nature, that we have a creator God. It's interesting that uh, just last night, as I was watching the news and there was an article about the coronavirus and the commentator at the end of the news on the television station said it seems that um, this particular year, um, 2020, is a year that uh, God forgot because of you know the different disasters, particularly here in Australia. And, you know, my thought was immediately, well, hang on, a lot of people have forgotten God. And I think a lot of people have forgotten uh, God. It's not that God has forgotten us. It's just that I believe people, we've turned away from God and God stepped back and said, well, if if you don't want me in the picture, that's fine. I'll step back. And I think um, so many people today don't know about God. They think that science has disproved God. Scientists are trying to develop vaccines for this, uh, for the nasty COVID-19 virus, but um, people are relying on science. But science can't explain everything. And teams of scientists are trying to, you know, work out and study the immune system and so forth. Whereas our immune system was by a creator. It's so complex and so amazing. We have overwhelming evidence for our creator. And of course the Bible reveals that our creator is a loving God that wants that relationship with us. And I would encourage everyone listening to read, pick up your Bible and read your Bible. You know, start with the Gospels of Matthew or John and read about God's love and God's plan for salvation for us. You've been listening to Faith and Science And remember, these uh, can be caught up 
these uh, episodes can be caught up by just uh, googling 3ABN Australia or one word dot org dot au and click on the uh, the listen button. I'm Dr. John Ashton. Have a great day. You've been listening to a production of 3ABN Australia Radio.